What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their, their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Day Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program. Once again, if this is your first time listening, you can uh, find fresh episodes of the podcast every Friday or uh, sometimes every Monday when I'm out on uh, tour, I guess, that the show has come out every Monday for the last four weeks now. So that's the situation. Maybe I should just change release day to Monday. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but uh, I'm doing my best to, to keep up with it while I have... Uh, been getting to see the band High Pole play a lot of music all over the country for the last five weeks. It's been uh, very cool 
very eye-opening experience for somebody that has been talking to touring bands for the last five years or so and uh, really has put some things into perspective as far as uh, them talking to me about what a grind the the tour life can be at times it's uh, it's definitely a lot of fun but it can uh, it can be a blur and it can also just uh, be a lot of driving and loading and unloading of gear. And uh, that is not always the fun part. But uh, I think the, uh, the shitty times and shitty days are definitely outweighed by the, the amazing times and all of the new stuff that I got to experience. I got to go to so many places that I had never been to, including New York City for the first time and we had two days off two full days off in new york which was was really awesome so i got a i got a solo cast in store for you this week to uh do a little tour recap because i don't want to waste 30 minutes of an intro of somebody else's episode where i'm interviewing somebody to do that so i just thought i would ramble as long as i want on on this episode by myself uh, i did uh one of these tour diary episodes with my cousin maybe a few weeks back and we left off in cincinnati ohio so i will kind of talk about everything for the most part post that and what the the last two or three weeks has been like out on the road this is a public service announcement for anybody who travels often uh there are two dallas airports and I learned that the other day in uh, in rough fashion, you could say. And I, what was supposed to be just a, a breezy five-hour travel day in total for me from flying from Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana, back to the West Coast, turned into a 16-hour a travel day. And uh, it, was, it was my fault. But it's, uh, it's important to know for next time for me, and now I know this um, since I'm planning on doing more traveling here, that there are two Dallas airports. And see what, would ha- what had happened here is uh, I was supposed to drive with the band after our last show in, in New Orleans. I was supposed to drive with them to Dallas the following day and then fly out of Dallas to LAX so that I could uh, come to Corona, California, my hometown where I'm recording this uh, this intro in a hotel room here. And also so I could spend some time in LA just hanging out, maybe doing a couple podcasts and bopping around a couple spots that I really like in town. And so the plan was that on, on May 28th, I was supposed to fly out at two o'clock or so to uh to lax and then my mom decided that she wanted to come to new orleans because she doesn't live too far away there in tampa bay florida and she flew in and hung out for a few days and saw the last show of the tour but uh yeah there's just like not a lot of time during those show days to hang out so she asked me if i would be down to stay an extra day so that we could just have a uh, a day to ourselves and explore new orleans together neither of us had ever been there so i was like yeah let's do that and i found uh, a reasonable flight that took me from new orleans to dallas and got me there a few hours early 
And I booked it. I did it. I said, Mom, I'm going to hang out with you for a whole extra day. And uh, I'm not going to drive with the band to Dallas. I'm just going to fly there and then fly to LAX same day. Uh, didn't add too much travel time and save me a day of like 12 hours on the bus. So I was kind of stoked about that as well. And I hadn't seen my mom in a while. So um thought that was a good plan. And I got myself up very early that morning that I needed to go to the airport. Got there, you know, on time, crushing it. Got the first flight out of the way. And then I had my three-hour layover. I said, this is going to be a great time to do some recording. And uh, is this recording? I can't tell. I can't see if the time... I really... I got this new recorder, the PodTrack 4 from Zoom. And I think it's fine. That's what I have decided. Um, like, it's functional. And I'll continue to use it for this type of thing. Because it's just very easy and lightweight. Just awesome to, to carry around. But I'm spoiled by my live track 8, I guess. And... Um, this is just a very simple machine, and sometimes I don't like the way that it functions. Um, this is not a shot at Zoom. Every I have so many Zoom products, and I love them, and I wish that they would sponsor this podcast. The Live 8 is the greatest thing that happened to my podcasting life. I'll tell you that. Besides, I mean, the RE20 microphone was also... That was a gift, too, and I'd like to get another one of those, RE20. Um, maybe, I can, maybe I could get one of those those sponsorships. That would be even... Zoom, I love you. That's all I'm trying to say. I just, um, I'm still getting used to how this PodTrack 4 works. And while I appreciate its functionality in the, the sense of how compact it is and that it only requires two batteries and I don't need any like eighth inch adapters to put into the headphone jack and there's four of them and four mic inputs. These are all great things. And there's just a couple things that I think we could have paid some attention to. Anyway, so... I went to the airport and I did that first flight and I was hanging out. I thought I would get some editing done in the airport. Wasn't stressing on this three hour layover I had. And I went to my gate and just hung out there. And my experience going to airports is that when you show up to a gate several hours early, sometimes there's no one there yet. And there's no information on the board because you're just there so early. So I go to my Alaska Airlines terminal and I hang out there. I have a conversation with uh, with my friend Bert who went out to Tree Fort. I talked to him for a while. I talked to Ruby. You know, I catch up with her. I talk to my, my dad for a bit and I'm doing the thing. And then it's, it's about 30 minutes maybe an hour before, yeah, probably about 30 minutes before the boarding. And I'm just like, oh, no one's here. Maybe I'll see if there's a gate change. And at which point I realized that there are two Dallas airports. There's Dallas Love Airport and there's Dallas Fort Worth. And I was supposed to be at Dallas Love and I wasn't. I was at the Dallas Fort Worth Airport in an Alaska terminal and at the one it told me to be at as well, which was also confusing, I guess. They coincidentally both have A13 as a gate in their airports. So 
um, I thought I was in the right place. And then I, when I realized it, it was, it's 30 minutes to get to the other airport. So by that time I was, I was pretty fucked and just trying to figure things out. And that took probably two or three hours to figure out just on the phone with some people. Luckily this, this woman, I wish I knew her name, but she was the, the customer service person at the Alaska airlines, uh, on the, on the phone since they didn't want to help me at the actual ticketing booth but she was so nice and she was so willing to help me which was pretty great because it didn't seem like the people above her were as interested in that as she was and they were kind of bullshitting me about uh, what the situation was even though I was looking on my phone and I clearly found some options that would be helpful for me even though i i knew that it was my mistake and they didn't have to help me at all but uh it seemed like there were some ways that they could and uh she just kind of kept pushing back and kept going back to her supervisor and finally was just you put me on hold for um, 30 minutes and i was on the phone maybe for like an hour and a half with these people and she was just like all right i got it figured out i had to fly into another airport which i was totally willing to do but uh, wasn't super ideal, and I ended up flying out at like 7 p.m. New Orleans time instead of uh, 1 p.m., which was when my connecting flight was, and uh, yeah, it just ended up being a whole ordeal, like a 16-hour ride, and uh, I was pretty upset for a little while until I was able to... uh, confirmed that I was going to be able to get a flight out that day because it was just a pain in the ass and there was just really no Alaska flights going out of either of those airports where I needed to go or just in general there weren't tons of Alaska flights so I was feeling uh I was pretty fucked I was uh, falling apart a bit and then it got settled and I was super appreciative of that and then also just at a certain point it felt like I needed I I just kind of realized that I was just hours away and in the same state of where this horrific school shooting just went down and uh, just kind of needed to like put my shit in check because I realized some people uh, were actually experiencing some some real pain and loss very uh, very near to me. It made my, my problems feel very small and stupid that I was... Uh, upset about this uh this flight situation which was obviously the problem i was dealing with but uh just yeah those problems felt very insignificant when i was uh was thinking about that and i think it's been something that i have thought about often through each day and a tough thing to to shake out of the mind right now and i don't know i guess part of that is from doom scrolling on social media and twitter but also it's just uh i don't know i just think it's a fucking bummer that we've like learned absolutely nothing from the columbine incidents and all of the other like school shootings that have taken place over the last 30 years or so and that schools have somehow become like the most unsafe places in america and uh the amount of mass shootings just in this year is is absolutely insane and like 
I feel like pretty inexcusable at this point. I have no idea why anybody, any like civilian needs or should have access to like an automatic assault rifle. I, uh, I don't think that, uh, this is what, uh, the, the founding fathers of this country, like when they were, uh, writing up the constitution and whatnot, they had muskets that, uh, shot at very slow rates. And I don't think that they necessarily, uh, were trying to give everyone rights to, to things that can shoot off like 45 rounds in a minute and, uh, shoot off hundreds of bullets. And, uh, it seems pretty brutal and it seems like, uh, like, I don't know. It feels somewhat hopeless at times that anything will be done about it. Like any solid gun reform just feels like these, these things are not far removed from the previous school shootings. And it just like keeps happening and nothing is, uh, really done about it. And while I think that single point entries for schools is like a great idea. And I think that that's solid as well. I don't think that more security for schools is necessarily the, uh, the problem or, or issue with these things. And I don't think it's fair to, uh, think that every teacher should be armed and need to, uh, also be a sniper while, uh, trying to educate children they have a shitty enough job already or shitty enough support for what they do and uh i don't think that that should be necessary either and uh yeah just fucked up on so many so many levels with how the the cops handled the situation i was just reading this minute by minute analysis of how things went on and just like for nearly an hour this same girl called like numerous times from a classroom to like send for help and they're just like waiting outside just so gnarly that the the people that are supposed to be uh protecting and serving just standing outside worrying about the conduct of the parents and being too scared while they have all of this riot gear that they want to use for bullshit protest reasons. And they don't want to use that same protective riot gear to go in there. And, uh, man, an hour and 18 minutes is a real long time for something like that to, uh, come to a resolve, I think for, uh, the amount of supposed training that these people have with their deadly weapons. And, uh, yeah, just feels gnarly. I think all of this, like, we'll just can also just continue to play into the political divide, which is also very, very brutal. And, uh, yeah, just seems pretty senseless that no one wants to actually like the people that could do shit about this do not want to do anything about gun reform. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't have a whole lot of intention to, to speak about these things during this, but I, uh, I've always used the microphone as a way to, uh, to work my shit out, I think. And 
these are just the the thoughts that I've been having and just uh wanted to to share some feelings and I you know the DMs and the emails are open if you want to uh if you want to tell me why you think it's a, a good reason for someone to need to have an AR15 then you know send send the emails I'd love to, I'd love to hear your your reasoning anyway it's just uh hard to ignore these internal dialogues going on in my head about uh what we have kind of witnessed this week and not sure how you don't argue for some sort of tighter regulations on gun ownership in this country and uh yeah i don't i'm not necessarily saying i think all guns should be eliminated i just don't understand why it doesn't require like some sort of permits in testing that uh, like a driving test requires or like ownership of of cars and whatnot and just uh checking in on these things a little more frequently and i just left some states where open carry is very legal and very common and personally that shit makes me like so uncomfortable when you go into a gas station and some dude is just walking in there with an ar-15 over his shoulder like i i'm not really uh sure that's just like some big dicking move that you walk into the gas station with an assault rifle um not entirely sure what the uh necessity of that but uh just spitball in here this is uh from someone that has shot guns before and gone to the range to shoot them and uh appreciated those experiences but uh guns have always made me pretty uncomfortable but those experiences have taught me more about gun etiquette and you know safety but as fun as it is to go shoot guns at a range like i think it's kind of uh at what cost i guess and i'd certainly never go shoot a gun at a range if it meant that there was no more school shootings or mass shootings in general and just uh lower rates of gun violence none of that seems uh worth my my time shooting cans at a range you know so uh i think this was a uh, a perfect example of why a lot of people speak about abolishing the police and uh not necessarily that there is no use for any sort of uh you know an organized group to try to maintain some things but it seems like maybe we should uh we should start over from scratch a little bit and maybe not uh, have this thing that has been like this continuation of uh, a plagued system that just often seems to uh, mostly be there to uh, help out a, uh, a very specific group of people. And there's just not a lot of protection, it seems, for civilians against the actions of cops. It's just like if they do kill people unjustly they're often uh you know not put to the fire and if they hesitate to do their job there's not uh always a lot of backfire i hope it changes you know 
I hope that uh, we don't continue to make school shootings and just mass shootings in general in this country a uh, a thing that is a part of an, our normal life. I can't imagine having a kid right now and having to send them to school every day, not kind of knowing the uh, what's going to happen on the on the day-to-day and i know that you know life in general is obviously very unpredictable but it's got to be it's got to be scary to uh to have kids right now and know that they can be in in such a vulnerable spot like this and uh just been thinking about it a lot and like i said it just kind of made my my rough travel day uh, I was able to put some things into perspective thinking about those events that, you know, just occurred days before that in the the same state. And I was planning on doing a little tour diary episode with my cousin Bobby again to kind of recap our uh, our adventures out there on the road. But I ended up staying that extra day with my mom, so we didn't have the, the time to to get it in and now i am hanging out in los angeles for the week over at my uncle's place in santa monica and just kind of hanging around and i figured i had some time and just wanted to maybe reflect on it sooner than later when it's a, a little bit fresher in my mind of uh what the last five weeks was like and there's some uh you know the flip side of of all the the madness going on is that there's there's some really kind people from all over the states and for the past 3 weeks of this tour I've had the chance to explore the northeast and the south like I never have before I'd really only been to Florida I've been there several times because my mom lives there and that's kind of like its own thing. And I know that a lot of people don't necessarily consider it quite the South. And I think parts of it really resemble the South and others are much different. Like Miami is uh, is far from the South. But uh, maybe some things down in the panhandle are a little bit closer to that uh, that Southern vibe that I got out of Georgia or Louisiana, but aside from Florida, I had only really been to Vermont. I went there for a wedding like four years ago for my stepsister, and uh, I was just so fucking excited to get to the East Coast. So where we left off from that uh, that last episode, Bobby and I did in Cincinnati. The, the band headed to Pittsburgh where we had full day off to explore. And I'm a huge hockey fan. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you probably know that. And the NHL playoffs are going on right now. So my hopes and dreams were that we'd end up in a city on a day off that was hosting a playoff game. And that city was Pittsburgh. So I took Cuzzo with me to the Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Rangers, first round of the playoffs, game three, and it was amazing to see my first 
East Coast NHL game amidst the playoffs with two legendary teams was very next level and the Penguins fans were nuts and very cool and almost everyone there was wearing a Pens jersey. We were able to hit a bar next to the arena before and that place was just absolutely jumping. You could tell it was just like this old school Pittsburgh Penguins sports bar institution and uh it is my goal like my bucket list shit is that to go to every nhl arena possible and just in general i just like love going to sports arenas sports stadiums baseball fields in particular just because they are so different from one another i think that's if if baseball has anything going for it it's that the fields are actually different you know you got the basic foundation for every field with the the same dimensions through like the infield and whatnot but then you have fields where it's like 308 to the wall and then you have some that are 310 and then you have a 10 foot wall in some parks on in right field and maybe a six foot in another so it's just uh i think that's always exciting and luckily being out on the road with Cuzzo he is is very much of the mindset of like the same mindset that if we can find a sporting event to go to on a day off we're probably going to to take advantage of that and we we're also able to do that while we we're in New York we went to a, a Mets game which was cool because they were playing the Mariners and High Pulp is based out of seattle my cousin grew up there he's a huge mariners fan so it was very cool that you know coincidentally the seattle mariners were playing the mets it was the first time seattle had ever played the new york mets because of the uh the interleague play and that kind of just becoming more prominent but uh yeah that was a cool part of the new york experience but yeah, seeing all the hockey rinks is uh, a big deal to me, and I was uh, I was just really excited. Like playoff hockey, I will watch any game. It's my favorite thing, sports wise. And uh, like I said, to just get to see a Pittsburgh Penguins game on their home ice, but not just that in a playoff game against the New York Rangers and see some legendary players like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. That's uh that's Billy. I've moved locations since like the last 15 minutes. I uh I cruised out to LA. I was in that that hotel room in my my hometown of Corona and now I've I've moved on to uh Santa Monica where I'm spending like most of this trip and my uncle has like the most adorable dog and he's uh he's pretty excited about other dogs walking around right now so uh that's what you may be hearing in the uh the background but from pittsburgh we went to boston and just all of pennsylvania was so beautiful and we got to cruise through there quite a bit i didn't realize like how far pittsburgh and philadelphia were from each other and we like actually hit philadelphia maybe a week later after pittsburgh just with the uh the routing that was going on but we went up to uh we went up to boston which was a whole ordeal for me i was stoked to go there because uh my cousin max on my dad's side of the family and his wife sarah lived there so i had planned to hang out with them and spend a night with them before uh the band took off to new york so i uh 
I did that. I cruised around on some bikes that day, riding bikes around Boston, got to catch up with Max and Sarah before the show. And they came to the show that night. And then I, uh, I met them back at their place. I took a lift over there and my phone ended up falling out of my pocket and I didn't notice until the lift had driven away. So that was uh, a whole ordeal and a bit of a game changer for a little while. And uh, I did not have my phone for like five days, which included my trip to New York, which uh, made doing my job a little more difficult than I would have liked, but uh, maybe left me feeling a little not stranded in New York, but I felt like I always needed to be with somebody because I couldn't like get myself lost or anything. I couldn't just go walk around by myself because I wouldn't really know how to link up with others later. So uh, the only benefit was that I didn't have a phone to distract me from my first New York city experience so i wasn't necessarily you know taking a bunch of photos or fucking around on social media or anything like that i was kind of just like absorbing what was in front of me and that place just kind of absolutely blew my mind and just made me so happy that city is is just alive at all hours it seems on a different level than i had ever seen before and i was just exposed to so much different culture i felt like every day i loved walking through all the different boroughs and jumping on the subways i just like think that's such a great way for me personally to get to see a city is just walking around in it and i uh I just love that accessibility. Like that would be my choice for my day to day if I could just walk most places or just that idea of being able to, you know, jump on the subway and and get around to a lot of different parts of the city fairly easily. And like I said, we went to the Mets game, heading out to Queens on the subway. I got to see my cousin sit in at this killer jazz jam, which was really exciting to you know see all these players there and just kind of watch him step up and and do his thing i know that was a big deal for him to play his first jam ever in new york accompanied by some other really great players but also you know just this place that is very competitive in that sort of way and i just thought that he uh he showed up and and he let him know that he had some some chops of his own. I went to Ray's Pizza, which I had heard about for many years. That was definitely the best pizza that I had in New York. I'll tell you what though, Portland, Oregon, you uh, you're holding up the pizza game. You are spoken highly about for for good reasons, I think, because I also had some pizza that was not that great at all Ray's was solid and also the first night that we were there it was like four in the morning after the show we were trying to get some food and we were in this small little corner store that had pizza and burgers and stuff like that and we were, we were getting some stuff in there and a dude just walked in and uh started talking to me about about my order the food i was ordering and whatnot just real friendly dude and you know telling him it was my first time in new york and whatnot and he ended up just buying whoever was in that store at that moment 
he bought all the food in there. He was like, I'm, I'm buying everything. And so he bought my cousin and I food. And he told me just to like, remember that not everyone from New York is an asshole. This is like night one. This was such an amazing way to kind of kick off this trip. Played this late show at new blue, which is this very cool jazz venue in New York. And we were just dead tired by that time, but just wanted to get some food before we crashed out. And then this dude just kind of like completely changes the spirit of the night at that time by buying his food and letting me know that not everyone in New York is an asshole and just told me to make sure that I went on and did something nice for somebody else, like did something cool for a stranger. And so that was just a set the tone for for the new york trip and just really exciting to get to walk around this place that i've seen on tv and movies for so long and to just kind of be standing in the middle of it was such a trip because it just looks like all of those things that i had seen before but to also kind of know what has come out of that city and we stayed in bushwick that which is like not too far from the places like bedsty where biggie grew up and and came up and and nas in the projects there and and that kind of energy and the beastie boys like i don't know it just it put everything into context in in such a such a different way and i just think that place is easily one of the coolest cities that i've ever been to i've never experienced anything like new york city and i i can't wait to go back there and and maybe have like four or five days to really just uh take it all in because for as much as i did i didn't uh i didn't do all of the things that I would have liked to have done. We walked by places like the Comedy Cellar, but I didn't go to any shows there. So that's definitely like another bucket list thing. I love stand-up comedy and I'm going to the Comedy Store a couple nights this upcoming week, but the Comedy Cellar is the New York mecca for stand-up comedians and just uh, a legendary place to me, but did get to go to uh, another legendary establishment while I was there, and that was the Village Vanguard, just this uh, historic jazz venue where so many cool albums have been made by all the greats. That was a very cool experience. I honestly just, like, can't wait to go back already. I want that to be a spot that I go to for, like, four days every year every other year at the least because that place was just uh it was so exciting to me it the 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 chaos of of that many people it was just so exciting to me and i wasn't overwhelmed by the amount of people at all and i just really loved like observing the way people live there and you know you gotta like really kind of speak up it feels like in new york if you want to get what you want and having those corner stores man those bodegas being able to just get up every morning and head to the bodega and get a bacon egg and cheese and a coffee for like six dollars and you just get this amazing sandwich and every it's like every block has these corner stores and and you can get 
any food that you want to get at any time and uh it just it feels like it never really it never really shuts down and i think i just have this better understanding of why so much cool stuff comes out of there like whether it be music or other forms of art because there's just so much to be inspired by or you know be observing at all hours new york city you exceeded my expectations. I knew that I would like it and enjoy my time there, but I did not know that I would, would kind of fall in love with it the way that I did. I got to go to Frankel's, which was this lights out Jewish deli. And maybe my favorite thing in general about being on the East Coast is the amount of Jewish delis that you have access out there. I've got some Jewish roots on my dad's side of the family. And while my dad has never been practicing, I was raised with some of the the culture and some of that food in my life growing up. So I'm a real sucker for a, a good bagel with lox or a, a dope pastrami sandwich. And, and Frankel's just absolutely blew my mind with, with their food. And as far as food, I will probably miss that the most. We have a couple... Uh, decent spots in portland to get some bagels with locks henry higgins they're solid but uh nothing like i experienced on the east coast and from there we we headed to dc where i was able to get my my phone back god bless my cousin max for tracking the lift driver down for me and being able to ship it from boston to dc for me so i didn't have to like get a new phone and whatnot and we were kind of in and out of dc really quickly but i was able to hit this place called call your mother which was a jewish deli across the street from the the place that we were staying but they had some very killer latkes over there that was my my last jewish deli experience of of the tour but dc overall seemed like kind of a boring place to be honest um but again i didn't really have time to explore the venue the pocket was very nice that was a cool spot and i got to meet this artist that i've been following for a while now this woman ali wilding i believe that's how you say her last name she's got this really dope record available on spotify and i think we are going to link up for a podcast soon but she's based out of dc and she came out to the high pulp show and i got to meet her and talk with her for a while so that was definitely a cool part of my washington dc experience but yeah just thinking back on the last five weeks just what an inspiring tour with this band it was so rad to watch them play almost every night and witness firsthand people in the crowd being moved by the music that they're creating i've personally always known that it was special it's always hit me in uh in the right spot and it's been exciting for me to kind of expose it to to people i know and, and getting to see people i know see them for the first time is always a fun experience because i think that's really the uh the only way to to take it in and understand sort of what goes into it but when you see it through a stranger's eyes and the the way that it physically makes some of them move it can it it can definitely heighten that experience i think and 
a big part of it is just how much we experience outside of the venues on a tour like this together making these long drives and having meals together and crashing on floors at times together and i uh i didn't know that i was gonna get so goddamn emotional when the last night in new orleans came about and it didn't really like hit me until sound check was happening that you know the uh that we had kind of you know hit the end of the road for this particular tour and i think a part of it was also that we did this tour with another group called jared matson and jared is not only an incredible player but just a, such a great and sweet fun person to to be around every day and always has this positive upbeat attitude no matter what the day has brought and no matter who was in attendance and i think that energy was really infectious amongst all of us and joe lyle who was jared's drummer on the tour he'll be on the podcast soon we recorded an episode the other day and and that dude is just one of the most low-key kind people that I've ever met and he lives in New Orleans so we got to hang out at his record store called No Pulp which is in the French Quarter definitely go check that spot out right across the street from the House of Blues uh, I went to a lot of record stores on this tour and Joe's to me was the the one that had the coolest vibe. I went to a lot of record stores in New York that I was pretty disappointed by. Just it, there wasn't, you know, maybe the selection was fine, but the uh, the place itself just didn't have uh, have much feel to it. And Joe had us over to his spot and made his gumbo, and uh, that was just this very communal experience. It was everybody in our band and Joe and uh, and Jared, and that was one of the last nights we had. It was. It was kind of rad. We had about five days, I guess maybe maybe four days in in the New Orleans Baton Rouge area to to wrap this thing up, which was cool for the ending to kind of be set up that way, where we were just hanging out together in different parts of New Orleans, because everything just kind of happens so fast when you're on a tour like this and making those drives every day can uh often make everything kind of feel like a blur and you lose track of time pretty quickly linked us up with some of his friends in baton rouge so we could uh set up a filming session down there on one of the days off and all the people that we connected to down there were amazing including sweet baby jay who was jared's bass player for uh for a part of the tour and just another dude that was so fun to be around and and people that you're excited to see every day when you get to the venue because there's the show and then jared and his crew would usually take off and go stay somewhere and we would go do our thing and then you show up the next day in a different city and kind of reconnect with everybody and it's really nice when the people touring alongside of you are people that you would genuinely want to hang out with and that's what i got out of jared joe and jay so i will definitely miss being around them regularly like i said joe will be on the podcast soon I'm gonna get jared on the mic soon as well he's got 
not only his solo project, but a lot of people know him from the Matson Two, which is a band that he has played in for a long time with his twin brother. So definitely check out Jared's music. His Jared Matson solo record is not coming out till March, but you know, keep up with him. See uh see if he drops any singles or anything like that soon and check out the Matson Two as well. They've got this banging jam that they do with uh toro moi and that's going to be on that june playlist that i spoke about earlier so uh tap in tap into that stuff but just great people and also just got to know people in the high pulp on this whole different level like antoine plays synths and does a bunch of modular stuff he looks like he has a spaceship rig if you ever see the high pulp videos, he's the dude just like plugging in cables to things. And I feel like I've had him explain it to me multiple times and I sort of understand what's happening, but it's all, uh, it's, it's quite a trip, but I've known Antoine for 10 years or so. Him and my cousin have been playing in bands together for so long. And so I've just kind of gotten to know him and, and he is like family, but even, you know, someone like him, we ended up with a lot of one-on-one -on -one time on the road. And I just think that you get to kind of see people in a different light that way and just really appreciated kind of one-on-one -on -one time that I got with different people throughout the trip, as well as like our big group experiences, like one of our best family meals was cruising through Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It was uh, definitely a goal of my cousin and I think most of the people in the band that we just try to hit some sort of like hole in the wall, Southern food in all of the places that we kind of traveled through. And in Tuscaloosa, Alabama we went to this place called Dreamland Barbecue it was the original location and it was probably the best food that we had on tour just these unbelievable pork ribs that just had so much meat on them and this place had been around since like the late 50s I know there's some other locations amongst the South. Like I think there's one in Atlanta and a few other places in Alabama, but just to be in the, the original spot and uh, they're just, it's flooded with all of this Alabama football stuff, all the roll tide shit and like newspaper clippings. But this food was just kind of unreal. And just one of those very memorable food experiences because with a band that big you don't always get to you know have everybody in the band eating together and that was one of the nights that we did and and just took some time to to take that experience in and everyone that that worked there was just so so nice and we were all just very hyped up i think like three or four of us bought dreamland barbecue shirts because we were just so hyped about the place and probably my measuring sticks for any future barbecue experiences will be against dreamland barbecue so good luck everyone else 
I would go out of my way to go back to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. If I was anywhere within like four hours of that place, I would take myself over to Dreamland Barbecue and uh, and get some more of those pork ribs and that mac and cheese, that banana pudding, just all unreal food. And I think we all just kind of walked out of that place better people like we we were all in very high spirits after we uh had eaten at dreamland barbecue and outside of alabama just like all of the the south as soon as we left dc and started heading down to you know north carolina and south carolina and into georgia just that area was so beautiful and i did not know that it was going to be so green i'd heard about you know the appalachian mountains and how beautiful that was but to get to see it in person and again i just think like a big thing for me is since i've had the opportunity to talk with so many artists from different parts of this country and over you know the past year talking to some folks that are from that North Carolina, Virginia area to get to see where some of that folk music specifically is coming from just uh, really clicked everything in. And I did my best, like wherever we were driving wise, I wanted to listen to things from that region. And I think that was one of my favorite areas where I'm just listening to like, Skylar Gudas or Watchtower and checking out some some Valley Maker and Alexa Rose and Caroline Spence, just all these singer songwriters and, and folk duos that I've really enjoyed the, the past few years and that made it all that more special to be in that place and listening to that music. We stayed in Seneca, South Carolina one night at this really nice Airbnb on this beautiful property that was kind of tucked away and off this dirt road and just hanging out on this porch one morning with the band all having our coffee before we took off. There was a... There was just something special about the South, and I know that the South kind of gets a lot of shit, I think, for maybe its its politics or policies, or maybe there's there just seems to be uh, somewhat of this assumption that everyone there is a redneck, but I think just in general that place has so much more than that to offer and i just enjoyed enjoyed my time cruising through there quite a bit charlotte north carolina was a cool city and that was like one of the cooler shows i think and i wish we had more time in atlanta that was another one of those cities that we were kind of in and out of but i've just heard so many great things like i got some lemon pepper wings there they were pretty good they didn't blow my mind, but I also didn't have the opportunity to do it right and like go to the strip club. You're supposed to get lemon pepper wings at the strip club, and I didn't have that opportunity, and I didn't really have the opportunity to uh, to seek out kind of the best in the city. That was the same deal in Philly, too. We went to Philadelphia and played at Johnny Brenda's, which was another one of the coolest venues that we uh, that we played on that on that tour. And the production manager there, M, was just 
such an amazing person, one of the sweetest people that I met on the the business side of things during the the whole tour and just the way that Johnny Brenda's took care of the band was uh something that that stuck out to me and got to see this cool band called Twin Princess too who was based out of Philly. They opened the show. One of their jams will be on the the June playlist. I really dug their set as well but just a a cool venue but across the street is this place called joe's cheesesteaks and i know that the big ones are gino's and blanking on the other one but we were about three miles from the the spots that are known for the philly cheesesteaks so we kind of just got what was in this particular neighborhood and ultimately it was pretty disappointing i've definitely had better philly cheesesteaks outside of philadelphia so uh i'll try my best next time if i'm there to hit the uh the spots that are known for it but had the philly cheesesteak experience it was uh like i said it was fine it was kind of dry be honest it wasn't uh it was not my favorite uh, thing that we experienced food-wise. That's for sure. That was uh, one of the best parts of tours, just being in, you know, in all these different spots and trying to find, trying to find food in places. Because I think that's a lot of times the way that you, you kind of end up absorbing the culture in these cities is. It's through the food, and I'm just really grateful for the entire experience and can't thank the gang and High Pulp enough for letting me be a part of the, the quest and get to experience the country this way with them. There were times and moments that, you know, were harder than others, and those were some of the times where I was like, what am I doing with my life but the good experiences out on the road far outweigh those and i think that's just kind of a natural thing of happening and i I don't have good days every day when i'm living at my home so i i don't know why i would expect it to be any different on the road i just think that sometimes it can make it feel a little harder when you're not super comfortable and and maybe you just want to be in your own bed but definitely a uh, a character building experience for just being thrown into these situations where maybe i'm a little uncomfortable or i don't uh don't know if i'm going to be able to fall asleep in this room with nine people occasionally but most of the time you know it does happen and you wake up and you're like oh that wasn't that wasn't so bad and moving on to the next place and just met so many amazing people outside of getting to form different sort of bonds with everybody in high pulp and jared Matson just met a lot of great people that we got to stay with along the way and just appreciate those people that welcomed us into their homes like whether it was one night or multiple nights uh, that means a lot but yeah i feel like i uh I met some folks on this tour that I will keep up with in in some fashion, and I think that is uh, another very cool part of the journey. It's those uh, those things that don't happen if you don't go and do what you want to do. I think I think cool things unfold when you go after the the things that you want to do, and I just uh, can't thank these people enough for 
given me this experience. I've wanted to go on tour since I was a little kid, you know, dreaming about playing in bands and going on tour. And I think waiting till 36 to kind of have this big five week nationwide tour was, uh, something that was well worth the wait and i think maybe that i'm probably more appreciative now than i would have been if it would have come at an earlier time in my late teens or early 20s but it's been just a few days since i separated from the band and i'm already very stoked and excited to go out there and do this thing again with them soon and uh you should stay tuned for more high pulp dates coming at you in the near future and definitely check out that new high pulp album pursuit of ends there's a bunch of videos up as well on their youtube from different sessions including a kexp session and all of uh, the live videos from their mutual attraction series which are all out on vinyl as well there's going to be some new t-shirts hitting the website soon as well as some new hats so uh look out for those on the website or uh you can pick one up on the next tour when uh we come through a city near you oh yeah i got uh i got the bus tattooed at the end of the tour when we went to louisiana a few of us got tattooed in new orleans at this place called lucky dagger tattoo shout out to lucky dagger tattoo the three of us that got tattooed myself my cousin and phil who does all of the uh the dope visual work just does all this crazy projection shit which just kind of brings the live show to this next level we uh the three of us got tattoos in New Orleans. I got to go with Phil the day before my tattoo appointment. I went with Phil to get his first ever tattoo, which was a really fun experience. He and I, we got some beignets at the legendary Cafe Du Monde. That place lives up to the hype. That was also one of the best food experiences of tour. Those beignets are what I've wanted donuts to be my entire life. And I finally found what I wanted. And it's a beignet from Cafe Dumont covered in powdered sugar. So we got some beignets. We got some coffee. Hung out for a bit. Had a nice morning. And then we walked over to Lucky Dagger. Phil got his first ever tattoo, which was a fun experience for me to get to uh, accompany him for. And then the next day, I got tattooed. I got the fucking bus. I got the high pole bus tattooed on me with the horizon in the background thought that that would be a really cool way to kind of uh commemorate the trip and i really wanted to get a tattoo on this uh on this tour to kind of time stamp it and i think the bus was a, a solid decision i got tattooed by claire over at lucky dagger and she did such an awesome job i'll post a photo on the instagram so you can uh you can check it out and can't wait to get back in that bus and maybe hit some other cities that I have not been to yet. I will tell you, I've been to nearly, I think there's only like seven states that I have not been to now in this country, which is very cool how much ground we were able to cover 
in the last five weeks. So I'll put the High Pulp link in the episode notes. I'll put their Instagram there and the website so you can uh, keep up with tour dates and all that new merch that I was telling you about. If you're in the Portland, Oregon area and you want to see some free live music, check out Produce Row Cafe on the regular Thursday nights. They've got music 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Every first Thursday, you can catch the Jeff Chilton Trio down there doing their thing. And every Sunday in June, noon to 2, throughout the summer, noon to 2, we've got DJs spinning vinyl over there. So that's going on. June 19th, I'm DJing over at North 45, who is uh, another great sponsor of this podcast. And they've got free music over there every Tuesday night and every Sunday afternoon from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So I'll be down there on June 19th spinning some jams. And then also on June 26th, the following Sunday, I will be over at Mayfair in North Portland. Super stoked to uh, get to DJ over there. First time over at uh, Mayfair in the Kenton neighborhood of North Portland. So, uh keep up with me as well all those links will be in the episode notes uh, appreciate everybody uh listening to me ramble solo very cool to reflect on uh, the time that i've spent with this band for the last five weeks and america you know is undoubtedly uh, a fucked up place but i think when you get to see the country through the lens of music and food, regional culture and long drives with people that you love and are really inspired by. It can help you see the good that coexists amongst the the political fuckery and lack of care for gun reform and greed and all of the other bullshit that exists in this country but this was also helpful to remind me that there's a lot of great experiences to be had here that do not look the way it does through the lens of social media and the news in general and just what they want to uh make everything out to be and i think all that shit just plays into the political divide to continue to kind of perpetuate the you know the system at b this seems to be the the plan like the system works it's things are divided the way folks want them to be for uh, their own political gain and and nonsense so this is just kind of how shit is unfortunately and i don't know that things will change anytime soon in the ways that i would like to see so all i kind of feel like i can do is try to you know be to be good to the people i come in contact with and kind of try to take care of myself the best i can so that i can kind of like serve the community that i exist in and and be the best person i can to the people around me and that I care about and uh, just try to not let these uh, horrific moments just kind of absolutely devastate me and, and throw me off track. So I hope everybody is uh, doing all right out there and finding ways to, to keep your head above water, finding folks to surround yourself to make you feel good about yourself and 
that you're uh, getting what you need and reaching out to the folks that you need to reach out to if you're if you're going through it and uh, and feel like it's only right if I uh, play this episode out with some some high pulp appreciate y'all tuning in once again I want to play the episode out with uh, a track called Tropo Blue which is a cover by a band called Cortex. This is a track off of the High Pulp record, Mutual Attraction 2, which came out on King Underground Records last year. You can peep that on all the streaming services, or you can get yourself a vinyl copy of it. And once again, just thank you to everybody in High Pulp for welcoming me on this adventure. Y'all are just such incredible musicians and shout out to the jared Matson crew and all those links will be on the episode notes i will be back next week with uh, a regular episode of cast in conversation with somebody and that somebody will be joe lyle from the jared Matson crew so stay tuned for that and it's a program that's the jelly jams and we will catch you On the flip side, Portland, Los Angeles, New York, New Orleans, Charlotte, North Carolina, Cincinnati, Ohio, wherever you are listening from. want to give a big shout out to distro kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast can't say thank you enough to distro kid for their support of this thing and make sure you go into the episode notes and find that distro kid link to receive 30 percent off your first year of membership with distro kid making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you so make sure you take advantage of that and the link is also in uh, the link in my instagram bio on the link tree so you can find it there as well big thanks to distro kid stay up stay tuned